Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello everybody, welcome back to the Two Naughties Podcast. I'm your host James and I'm joined by my good friend Timmy Long. Hi everyone. Ron is Andy Dexia, how are you Ron? And this week we have the reigning Irish featherweight champion mm-hmm. um, with a professional record of 14 and 1 and you have 5 All-Irelands mm-hmm. and you're from Kildare <laughs> and you've got great ease. <laughs> you're very Keep welcome. going. You're very welcome to the podcast, Eric. Thanks James, yeah, thanks to me, thanks for having yeah. me. That's, yeah, yeah, thanks for coming down to meet us. Um I just want to start off by saying, anyway, you did great during the summer and the Olympic coverage on RT. Ah, thanks very much. Like, it was great, wasn't it? Like, just it the, the Olympics are, they're special, like, you know, and... Especially the boxing. Oh, boxing, sure. Like, it's it's the it's the kind of, every amateur boxer's dream to box in the Olympic Games. And, and it's the kind of platform and exposure that they get. But sadly, only every four years in this country, yeah. we wake up to the boxing. Um oh. But they're doing it year in, year out across the world in Europeans, world championships, you know, picking up medals and, and representing us on the big stage. And I know. But, you know, to be involved with it was brilliant and the feedback, yeah, was great. So thanks for that. Yeah, no, you did, you did really well. Um, The whole of the whole panel did well. You know, Kenny and the lads in the studio, yeah. the commentator, I said, yeah, yeah. beforehand, you know, he really kind of has set the atmosphere. But uh, I remember watching Kelly in the final and uh, it was at home watching on my phone because it was early, you know. Yeah. And... Uh, I haven't cried for years. Mm. I cried when she won that. Mm. I mean, no, like, not like a little wet eye. I'm th- talking about tears. This is a big moment. I don't know, Eric. Yeah. This is a big moment. James <laughs> is actually saying like. he actually got emotional and cried. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm not but, really yeah, surprised, yeah. honestly, because a lot of people, the amount of people that got in touch mm. with me, you know, big, yeah. strong GAA men as well, yeah. managers <clears throat> and everything that told me they were crying. I wonder what morning. it is about that moment that touched so many people, you know? Was, I think it was Kelly. Yeah. I think it was Kelly. People yeah. just related to her, connected to her. Mm. She's just a genuine. She's a gem. Yeah. She's an absolute gem, and she wears her heart on her sleeve. Yeah. And she's, you know, the way sometimes when you look at say, say celebrities or sports stars and that, you don't feel really connected to them. Mm. Like they're like they're in a kind of you know a different. You put them in a different place, maybe on a pedestal or whatever. Yeah. But Kelly is just like 
your neighbor. The girl next door, you know? Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And yeah. Every, I think people could just like relate to her in that way mm. and connect to her. And um, yeah, she was so genuine, wasn't she? Absolutely amazing, yeah. And, and but the performance as well, like she lost the first yeah. round and then to kind of dominate for the next two rounds, like it was like she had it up. No, it was brilliant. It know? was incredible. It's up there with one of the best ever Olympic performances from any athlete, you know? Mm. This girl that she boxed, Beatrice uh, Ferreira, undefeated for two years, reigning world champion, knockout artist done a number on a girl that beat Kelly you know a good few times the Mira Potkonen from Finland so you can imagine going into this fight with very daunting you know mm. and then to go in there and deliver deliver like that mm. it was class it was pure class because sometimes you know we're, we're known as a small nation with a big heart but technically we just don't yeah. live up to the expectations with these people we've big heart and we'll fight all day but technically we were not sound enough but mm. Kelly was exceptional on that day left yeah. right southpaw orthodox what way you wanted it absolutely incredible and she made a girl who looked unbeatable look pretty ordinary in the end and that to me shows yeah. even in the in the, the last level. two rounds the five judges gave a 10-9 across the board no, it, was, yeah. it wasn't even close like oh no it was unanimous yeah I was class I'm yeah, so happy yeah. for her but you know for pardon the pun but we punch above our waist. We do. For the size of the island we that do. we have. We do. Look, I mean, my my biggest achievement as an amateur was winning the European bronze medal in Moscow in 2010. And that was like a monkey off my back, kind of, because you know, you always remember the, the world's Europeans and Olympics are the three majors, you know. And if you get a medal at any of them, like you're, you're in the history books, kind mm. of, you know. Um, and I was one of five medal winners for Team Ireland. We sent nine boxers. We won a gold, a silver and three bronze. We finished second in the medals table to Russia in a European championships. 50 something countries. Like we, we, we won the RT Sports Team of the Year that year. Beating, uh, do you remember Tipperary stopped Kilkenny doing the, was That's it four right, or five? Uh, yeah. Tipperary were even nominated too. We beat <laughs> them for the Team of the Year. Because like, think about it, little old Ireland was ahead of, Ukraine, Great Britain, Germany, oh. France, Italy. We were ahead of them in the medal table. It was incredible. It's yeah. one of the greatest Irish team performances. Yeah. Like, you we know. think of all the great boxing nations that would be yeah. in that, you know. Huge. Unbelievable. Yeah. But Fair will, will we mm. go back to the back or back to the start? Yeah, work away. For, for yeah. the people that aren't into boxing, mm. who are you and where are you from? Well, my name is Eric Donovan. Eric I'm Donovan. Uh, from a tie in County Kildare. Uh, go by the, by the kind of stage moniker, professional boxing name is the Lily White Lightning, you know, yeah. uh, which which I'm very proud of. But I'm based in Drada at the moment. I live in Drada, Drada County Loud. Um, but as you know, I'm a reigning Irish featherweight boxing champion, represented yeah. Ireland for over 10 years as an amateur. Very proud. And, uh, yeah. Very, very proud. Yeah, had a great career. Um, achieved an awful lot, but probably could have achieved a lot more. But I was dealing with um, a lot of deep emotional mental health problems throughout my career and I was living a secret life for a long time when I say secret it probably wasn't secret you know what I mean we think we're people in addiction think they're living a secret but everybody knows you know but I would have been in active addiction for a very long time probably for most of the, the duration of my amateur career what about when, you, when you were in school as well and in school right through from the age of 13 14 right up to 26 yeah it must like there's not many people can go on and have a career like you in boxing and mm. also be addicted to alcohol or drugs at the same time like that must have took up every single bit of energy you had in your life oh, huge it was just so like demanding so um, what would you say exhausting as well you know because you're 
once one minute you're up with the high performance team from Tuesday to Friday and you're you're surrounded by the best professional kind of setup, best conditions, physios, doctors, nutritionists, the best coaches, the best facilities. And then you go home on a Friday and you're just searching for oblivion, mm. escaping from reality. Yeah. And you're home then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And then you're back up in Dublin with the team again and you're burning the candle at both ends, you know. Yeah. Mm. But because I was so young, we have this innate ability when you're young to kind of, you know, shake off the yeah. the damage of the weekend yeah. or whatever. And you kind of, you get, a, not that you're getting away with it, but you can kind of, you can kind of Push keep it, brush going, it off keep bit, going. Yeah. yeah, you can keep going. But I never got the chance to full, f- to you know, because there was times where I'd go here and then I'd come back and here and back. and never really pushed on. What was school uh, like for you? School? Yeah. Well, to be honest, school was very poor. Like for me, I had a really poor education. Poor in the sense that like <clears throat> I never felt adequate or never felt capable while I was in school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's maybe maybe due to... My own mom and dad, they left school when they were young as well. You know, they got married very young. Old school. Old school. There was no real emphasis. Get out the door and go to school. But there was no real supports, you know. Mm. Sit down with you, work with you. You know, for some families, Mm. like, you know, even back then. reality, isn't it? Yeah, even back then. The main main job or the main focus might be to get from one end of the week to the next Mm. and one end of the day to the next, you know. Not to sit down and go through books and you know, lectures and stuff like that. So, you know, I turned up, you know, and, um, but never really, never really excelled, you know, Was never. sports more your thing? Yeah, sports most, most of my thing now, even it, like, I would have felt, I would have felt anxious in school a lot, you know, like mm-hmm. today I'm going to be exposed today or whatever. And I kind of navigated around that. I was trying to avoid being caught in the headlights, you know, mm. trying to get away with being, in the spot, like, you know, kind yeah. of felt like, like, I kind of felt like it was like, it did the opposite of what it was supposed to do. Instead mm. of feeling educated and developed, I felt inadequate and I regressed, mm. you know? <laughs> and then when I discovered yeah. that you could sit up on top of a tree in a park and be at peace with yourself, as opposed to sitting down behind a desk feeling inadequate, I, that, you know, the route I took, you know? So, yeah. yeah. I don't know if you were to describe Eric Donovan as a child. What kind of a disposition would you say, or what kind of personality were you introverted, quiet, and shy, or were you kind of like a boy's boy, um, just wanting to be involved in sport? I'd say I was a very gullible, influential, uh, young kid. Uh, very, what would you say? Uh, very influenced by other people. Always trying to fit in, you know, with the rest of the... Easily led. Yeah, oh, completely. You know, you told me to jump, I'd say how high, you know. Always young, mischievous as well, rebellious young kid. My mom and dad separated when I was only only a baby as well. So, like, that must have been tough. When I say that, like, I didn't re- I didn't have my dad growing up. Like, I was only, like, six months old or something when they separated. But, but I'd say for my mom, who was probably 25 at that time with four young kids, probably all under the age of 10, must have been very difficult. But I didn't know it as a young kid, you know. And then a couple of years after, I had a stepdad come in and then have two young younger sisters. So we we're six, you know, and then stepdad, my mom and my stepdad, they're still together and all. But I can imagine it must have been very difficult because I'm a yeah. father now, you know, and I have two boys. And uh, I know how difficult it is to 
to be a dad, you know mm. what I mean? So I can imagine the mid-1980s, around that, you know, 25 years of age, you're married, you know, mom and dad were married and next, they're separated and that must have been very tough, you know? Yeah, you can um, put yourself in your kids' shoes now and if you left their house now, it must be very difficult and I can relay it as well. You see, it's only when you start having kids and you start going through life yourself and challenges that you can actually think back to what it was like mm. from before and you can understand and you have more compassion yeah. for the people that was in your life, you know, and I've heard many of your mm. stories and your, with your guests and everything, instead of like, you know, feeling like angry or hurt towards other people, you're more compassionate about, yeah. about the, the difficulty that they had going up and, yeah. and what they've provided you with and stuff like that, you know, and the chances that they, that they gave you, you know what I mean? Like, that's, I'm very lucky. That's what recovery gives you as well, Eric. It gives you that awareness mm. around mm. Um, how how it might have been for maybe your mother or father and how they may have mm. struggled as well, mm. you know. But when when somebody goes into recovery and they start getting help for whatever difficulties mm. they may have, they start to grow and the compassion then starts mm. to come when they start looking back at their own parents situations mm. when they were young and and, and that's a, a, a great thing to have is to be able to have some empathy yeah it is empathy is is, is probably the number one you know and uh, and like even growing up we didn't have a lot like we didn't have we didn't have anything at all like you know but we had a love for each other you know what I mean there was a great love and a great bond for each other you know and uh, there was a great closeness and I often find today that a lot of my qualities that I have come from my mother you know um, just that you know the love and genuine qualities you know what I mean and yeah. they serve you well in life you know you don't pick up them in a classroom like you know what I mean yeah. but they're just like you know um, sure just, makes you who you are they're, like, yeah they're, they're just qualities to help you kind of connect with people and, and move on you know and that kind of stuff um, Roman you started experimenting then um, in secondary school mm. want to tell us a little bit about that how you kind of got caught up in it and how it escalated it's weird because like you know I started smoking probably the age of 12 or something like that and I can't even remember how it transpired but I do remember trying it for the first time and I was in a backfield and it left me green <laughs> on <laughs> cigarette like you know green on my stomach twisting turning and sick um, but undeterred you know <laughs> kept going back for more you know re glutton for punishment like you mm. know and I remember taking my first one, you know, drink of wine as well and that left me sick wine was my first uh, you know mm. first taste of alcohol wine talk about top shelf like know. you know <laughs> <laughs> and um, the rest and of it, us were drinking cider <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah and like the thing was like it just made me very very ill but I kept going back to it like for some reason you know but then it wasn't long before you start kind of getting the the comfort for it and the kind of you know the tolerance for the it tolerance for it you know you build up the tolerance for it and then you kind of feel like you need it for everything you need mm, it for walking yeah. to school you need it for walking out of school you need it for lunch you need it for you need a cigarette for everything you know becomes a source it's like it's like in the Irish culture we need a drink for fun we I need know. a drink to enjoy yeah. it you know that's where it was and yeah. everything associated on a fag and a drink and then it went to hash and and then it kind of progressed like from that you know what I mean but um, it was a cause and conflict for your home or did or were you able to hide it? I don't know, sure. Like it was like sure my older brothers as well, like they would have dabbled in it as well, like you know what I mean? And my mum would have had her work cut out, like, you know, and sure 
I often think back, like, you know, she, 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 she really would, like, we would have taken her toll on her, like, you know what mm. I mean? She just couldn't handle us, like, you know, young lads, you know what I mean? Here, there, everywhere, gone, just see, you know, we're talking earlier about being secrets and everything. Like, sure, I used to be locked in my room, I'd climb out to the bathroom window and down the pipe, you know, just, mm. like Fireman Sam, you know <laughs> what I mean? 13, 4, you know, get in, you're not going out, bam, okay, out to the window, down the pipe. You'd have been, you'd be gone, just lethal, you can never hold me down, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, just so much energy but boxing is where I you know like boxing was where I where I was able to generate that energy into somewhere constructive can you remember the first time you went into a boxing gym oh yeah do you want to tell never us forget about, it like do you yeah. want to, tell us to be honest that? I was only talking about this today in a school right the I wanted to go down to the boxing club it was in the, an old nun's hall outside my, outside the estate that I grew up in and my two older brothers were in it I wanted to go down with them you know and my mother was like no you're not going down it's too rough and you're too young and all. I was only seven you know but again you know I did you know go against the grain ran down anyway walked into the door and I never forget it just the, the, the noise I was struck by the noise the smell the atmosphere the ropes you know what I mean and mm. the bags pop 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 and I was just like wow this is cool like mm. this is cool you know boys sweating and you know just there's a real kind of a I don't know the testosterone started yeah. to come out you know seven what, age, what age are we talking here? seven seven are we talking like Michael Cruz time oh right yeah if so I was yeah I was 92 yeah, around that because we're the same was, we're the same yeah. age like so I'm thinking yeah. Michael Crude around that time yeah. that's right yeah and I remember him being on the pictures all around the, the, the garages and all jumping up like you know I think it was yeah. the S or the Max or did some sort of a sponsorship thing with him and he was around all them but um, yeah so seven and you know I remember actually like I started swinging out of bags before I was punching them like literally jumping up <laughs> wrapped around and uh, the the Dom like Dom is my coach and I, I like Dom is an incredible man like you know he's the president of the Irish Amateur Boxing Association yeah. today Holy and God. he would be dealing with most of the biggest decisions in Irish boxing at central council level Yeah, but on any given night you could see him down down, down in the club in a tie holding up the mitts for a young kid you know mm. giving him a chance and what he didn't do for me is not even worth talking about boys it's like I wouldn't be probably here today if he didn't pursue me because I left boxing more times I got like when I started to discover the girls and the fu- and the cigarettes and 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 the drink mm. I didn't want to run anymore or box <laughs> anymore yeah. or lose weight anymore yeah. you know yeah. go away I get, I, Tommy used to call to my house like you know I'd be gone I'd be disconnecting from the club just around 14, 15 mm. And he said, what's going on with you? I haven't seen you for weeks or something. And I said, Dom, I gave enough of my life to boxing. I'm 14 or 15. <laughs> you know, I've enough now. I've done enough. I've won enough. And I've been multiple Irish champions. I was, I was, this is where I was breaking onto the Irish team and everything. I was being offered ca- captaincy roles and everything, you know, representing Ireland. But I didn't want to go. I wanted to be with the lads. Fair, mm, FOMO, yeah. you know, fair of missing out. Fair of missing out on what? Hanging around the alley, smoking and drinking. Like doing absolutely nothing. Mm. But that's so common, Eric. That's yeah. so common. Like when... You, like we've often spoke about some of the young lads that are from our area plenty of boxers and, as well and boxers yeah. that have went across the England yeah. you know would have boxed for Ireland at times as well you know, yeah. and, kind of, and the drink and the drugs come in and it takes them away from it mm. even myself when I used to play soccer when I was young 14, 15 had the drink gave me the self-esteem and the confidence to mm. talk to the women something that I didn't have without a drink yeah you know it's just so common for, for that's the age isn't it yeah. 13, 14, the critical 15. years the 14s and 15s you know especially mm. when they start dropping they start yeah. dropping out of sport you're in trouble you know so you're lucky you had that man that you know he perceived you yeah. know he he, he, yeah. he he was really hell bent on keeping you on the straight and narrow 
Do you know when you were starting the boxing, mm. did you find that you had a flair for it very quickly? Oh man, just took to it like a duck to water, like you know, slipping, rolling, ducking, diving. You'd like I was just I, honestly, and I've no problem saying this. I was just, boxing was easy for me. I could express myself in the ring. I was just southpaw, light on my feet, elusive, slick, making lads miss, destroying lads, beating them ten nil, fifteen nil, all this like all the way up along, winning multiple Irish champions. Like there was lads used to, there was lads used to kind of um jump out jump up or jump down in the weights to avoid me like you know what I mean yeah. and stuff like that and you know when you're younger that can kind of kind of have well it can kind of feed your ego and you kind of mm. think that okay I have this, this I'm always going to be like this mm. but talent only gets you so far then yeah. when you get to a certain age you have to work hard mm. and I mean work hard because the lad might not have any talent mm. or he might not have a fraction of your talent but he's in the gym every night and he's training and he's sacrificing and when he gets you, then you know what I mean. Then your talent's not enough because this guy is resilient and he's going. And that's what happened to me. I got found out a couple of times. You know what I mean. But then I realized I had to work hard as well. But I did. I worked hard, and uh, it's incredible that I've even achieved what I've achieved. You know, dealing with the kind of yeah. How did you manage yeah. to like? You were taking drugs and drinking and stuff, but you were still fighting in the gym. Did you look back on your amateur career and think like? Imagine I wasn't drinking and taking drugs, what I could have done. Or I, uh, you look back around with your career and think, no, I did pretty well there. I just ridiculous tear. Like, I often do look back. I look back with the two of those kind of viewpoints. Like, yeah, I did well considering, but I could have done this and that, you yeah. know. But um, I just mad kind of a theory. Say if I lost a fight and I did, like, uh, I was taking, say I was drinking and drugging and everything up until about six weeks before the competition. And that's what it would be like. I would normally be like six weeks and I'd kind of go white knuckle it and go into straight and narrow, you know what I mean? And be mm. just complete stubborn and get three weeks of good or six weeks of good living and clean living and hard work and hard training. And then if I lost or lost hard, I'd say, Jesus, I lost only by two points, but I only did six weeks and mm. I was doing it. So if I did eight weeks, you know what I mean? And mm. I'd be saying this kind of stuff to myself. <laughs> It's ridiculous what I was doing, like I not know. considered giving it up all, not considering you need help. Know, yeah. <laughs> you're going into box, yeah. you know, in an Irish championship against the best in the country and you're smoking and drinking and you're, you know, and even smoking, I was always smoking, always smoking. I never was able to give up the fags. Mm. And that's one of the greatest things ever now to be free from cigarettes. Like just to, to be, I'm, I'm in complete recovery now yeah. and I get my kicks out of just life itself. My son, my mm. two sons, my fiance and life and friends and and you know of you know doing things working and you know and that to me there is a miracle it's a beautiful place that's to be. a miracle because i'm kind of like man i spent a lot of money to try and feel this feeling do you know what i, I mean know. yeah which is not even it yeah. wouldn't even be a close feeling it's an artificial feeling you're you're you're, yeah. you're getting do you know do you know what it sounds like it sounds like um say if you go up current tool up some beautiful mountain or go on some beautiful walk mm. and you get to the top of the mountain and you can't appreciate it because you're caught up in your head because you're addicted or whatever mm. but when you go into recovery all that stuff changes you can actually appreciate life and beauty mm. and walks and nature for actually what it is so they're the things that the recovery process does give people afterwards gives them that appreciation yeah. for nature and beautiful things you know so it's second chance to me that's it it's a second chance it's honestly that's what it's like we get a second roll of the dice you know and many people probably can't people who have not people who are not in recovery 
or who have no experience of addiction can't relate to that. They get one, they get one shot at it and mm. it's the same for them. But we get a second shot, yeah. a different shot, a chance to go a different way, a different route. And then it is more beautiful. It's more, it's a real kind of a, you feel like you've earned it, you know, mm. in a way, because especially because you have earned it. Mm. It wasn't handed to you. You worked for it. And you know, you remember the pain of the past. <sighs> you know what it was like? Yeah. The rough, the rough, the roughness. Like I had my stag uh, two weeks ago, yeah. 20 lads got down in Galway. Great crack. A couple of sober lads on it, but other lads had a, you know, good few drinks. And, and I used to be, I used to have this fear of my, of my stag or my future wedding. I'd say, I can't, can't, can't have a wedding. I can't have a stag because my life's over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I give up the drink. Yeah, <laughs> Do you know yeah, what I mean? I know. But like, you know, I had a brilliant time and, and great conversations and great company. And, and, and the next day, waking up the next day and driving down the road and fi- went to Salt Hill. It was in Galway and then went to Salt Hill about 10 minutes from where he's dead and jumped in off the ver straight into the, yeah. in, into the sea. Just deadly. You know what I mean? It's and great. And then, but you can have, you can have some crack in recovery. Like, you know, yeah. people, yeah. people do think that, oh, I can't drink no more, especially my yeah. life is over. But do you want to tell us a little bit about after fifth, after 14, 15, how you rode out that period in your life and like how the, the drinking and stuff progressed on there into your later teens. Yeah, it's mental. It kind of progressed very quick. You know, when you grow up, like, you do know, like, you know, when you're growing up in like council estates, like in places like that, you know, it would have been deemed like disadvantaged area where I grew mm. up and you know what I mean? And um, I remember one of the older boys, well, it wasn't too much older. He was 15 and I was 14 and a good few of us were kind of around that age bracket, 14, 15, 16. We're all drinking, we're all smoking weed. And that's the thing, why I never felt it was outrageous what I was doing. Growing up, everyone was doing it. Yeah, why not? So, you know, you kind of feel like, this is my community. I don't know what's going on in other communities, mm. but this is mine. And exactly. this is what they're all doing. So it's, it's, yeah. it must be fine, you know? Yeah. Um, but we knew ecstasy was on the, ecstasy was on the, on the go, yeah. you know? But it was the 17, 18 year olds that were doing it. You know mm. what I mean? And the older ones that were doing it. Like, and we aspired to be like them one yeah. day, you know? But when one of the boys, one of my mates, close mates, 15, took one, we all heard about it. And he was telling us all the next day. And like, he's standing in the state, right? He's not he's dead. Down, and we're all, no, he's not dead. <laughs> yeah. He's buzzing. And we're all standing in him in a circle around him. Like that, looking up at him, right? Because he's tall as well. And he's like, lads, lads, the best. <laughs> lads are not as he tell us this. And we're all just like, oh, yeah. roll on the weekend. Yeah, Because yeah, yeah. he done it and he's still alive. You know, and then we done, and then it was just like a weekend thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just like the more, you know, you know, wasn't just one then. It was, you know, a couple or a handful. And mm-hmm. just, it was constant. Then, you know, later on then, I think it was maybe 18 or 19, maybe then when cocaine kind of came on the scene. And then that was a more kind of a, seen as an upper class kind of a drug you know it costs sure. more money and everything mm-hmm. like that but different drug as well isn't it those different different things. type of drug yeah. as well you'd kind of be able to you'd be able yeah. to kind of it's, it's doctor, doesn't knock yeah. you for six in yeah. a way you can kind yeah. of socialize yeah and do that kind of stuff yeah yeah, yeah. But, but the ecstasy definitely would was a different kind of level of stuff there'd be a lot of love with the ecstasy and <laughs> a lot bit of crack, of crack and <laughs> you'd be friends no the reason we do talk about this is yeah. basically like you know it, every teenager most teenagers come that come from areas like where we come from mm. they all try it they all try it mm. some some kids try use something. it a little bit more than others you know mm. but for, for for me anyway on my own level like first time I tried an ecstasy tablet it was like oh god so it's great crack it's great crack but yeah. after a couple of years of it or after not 
it does get very, it dims your brain man you like, you know I mean? you're, oh, like, it's like yeah you're tripping and you're you know you, when you're there you're drinking a night you're drinking a hell of a lot as well you're smoking a hell of a lot you're up for hours you're up for days you know and you're just mm. you think you're coming down off your booze and you're not and you take another one and you be taking another one you know and you don't want to it's the never ending weekend you know and that goes on and on and it does it takes its toll on you you know what I mean and your phone is off and your family's looking for you and everybody's going mad where are you you know, my coach pulled me out house parties before. Would you believe that? Oh, yeah. Pulled me out house parties. Brought, <laughs> pulled me out house house party one time and brought me to Mullingar to fight in an open air show. I'll never forget it. I fought this guy called David Nevin, and oh, jeez, we tore lumps out of each other in the in, in the ring because like I promised him I'd go, you know. So he was, and he promised another coach he'd have me there for his for his boxer. He pulled me out of a house party. Got me, you know. Come on, you have to go. You have to go. You can sleep in the car. He goes, you know. How can I sleep in the car? Wide awake, you know. <laughs> Uh, and uh, I got to Mullingar anyway, in the mid open air show I had a fight with your man and um, you know I, I think it was an exhibition anyway but got out of the ring and I didn't even get a chance to get down my boots or my shorts or anything I was sitting in the sitting in the chair outside and I knocked out I fell asleep <laughs> I fell asleep that to wake me up a few hours later yeah uh, but, but you know when yeah, the cocaine into your life then were you working at that stage yeah well I never was really working I was kind of like you know, I was on the high performance team in Dublin as from 17 years of age. Oh, yeah, by the age of 17, like I was actually, I have a piece of history there. I'm, I'm, I'm the youngest ever four nations senior champion. So that's the senior champion of England, Ireland, Scotland and Wales while I was 17. I was only a junior and I was four nations senior champion. So you can't, there was a time when you were a junior, you're allowed to enter the seniors. Mm. Not anymore. You have to be 18 or 19. So now. that record won't be beaten. So it can't be. No, but I was the champion of England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales as a junior. I was the Four Nations senior champion. So that's why I got kind of selected and, and invited up to the high performance team. And there was big things laid out for me around that time, you know. What's it like being selected? And what's it like oh, going man. up there? Yeah, it's huge. Because one one time, like there were stages up there like where I was... Um, you know, aspirations and dreams to be the to be the best, like you know, mm. to be the absolute best. And I knew I'm a smart enough guy as well. I knew as well what I was doing in my social life was wrong, but I also didn't know how to get out of it. Yeah, because yeah. like, how do you go? How do you mm. go and say to somebody like, "Look, hey man, I'm in I'm in trouble here. I need help." Like, n- that's a weakness. You know, we all mm. tried to cover it. Yeah. Ah, yeah, I'm grand. Everything's good. You know, and I remember. The likes of like Gary Keegan and Billy Walsh and the head coaches and my own coach Tom O'Rourke and all that would have a lot of times kind of you know came face to face with me you know and are you all right like and stuff yeah grand no worries you know I'm all good but um you wouldn't be good you know you wouldn't be good and you wouldn't know how to kind of how to put up your hands and say I'm in trouble here I need help I need intervention yeah. you know you can't make your own intervention you know unfortunately um you wish you could but um. Some people look at 18, 19 year old, 20 year olds that mm. take drugs like that and they think like, or oh, hedonistic, you know, they're only out mm. for themselves mm. and they, they don't want any responsibility. But I can totally identify with mm. Julia. 18, 19, mm. I was, I wanted out. I just didn't know how to get out of it. I just mm. thought that this was my life, this is what my peers was doing, and that's all that I could ever be. And I didn't really, even though I hated it and I was fed up of it. and the mental health was very poor and there was a lot of consequences become, coming because of it. I never really thought that there was another way, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so it's not that, like, like, you can have that little bit of maturity at, even when you're so young. Mm. But I suppose you're, when you're in the high-performance unit and, you know, you're a elite boxer, 
you're going to come up against fellas that's mm. your level of boxing, but they're not taking on drinking drugs. You know, you there. You go. You know, yeah. And and the other thing as well is like some people like I grew up with like were able to kind of party at the weekends, but it didn't affect their lives like because they were able to leave it there mm. at the weekends. I, know. It's I wasn't. It's mad. You know, I wasn't able to because. And even when cocaine became a thing then as well, I became very greedy, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that need, it's like I needed it, you know what I mean? I needed to get through. And yeah. I, like, that's the thing. Like, I had a huge fear as well of how people would see me or the you know, rejection and fear of, mm-hmm. you know, fear, all that kind of stuff. So that's why you wouldn't reach out and ask for help, you know? But um, I suppose if you need people that you you can look at that will inspire you as well that are maybe on the recovery path as well but if you don't have anybody in in, in your circle that's mm. actually in recovery and can spot that you know you, mm. there's no real well, that chance was the game changer for yeah. me you know when i went into in early 2012 i was at the jump off point like i was i literally i i couldn't take anymore i wanted to take my own life like you know mm. genuinely yeah now i didn't want to die mm. but I, I didn't know how to live yeah Imagine, yeah. put me in the ring with Olympic, world, European champions, and I'm I'm at, I'm at home, I'm at peace. Mm. It's outside the ring that I I couldn't put one foot in front of the next. Mm. It's crazy, isn't it? Like yeah. it, I couldn't navigate my way through life, but in the ring is where I was at home. But you can't live in the ring either, you know. Oh, yeah. You have to get out in life. But when I went into rehabilitation early 2012, it was a game changer for me, because I went from in the space of a few weeks, a prime candidate for the London Olympic Games. To want to take my own life, to now suddenly sitting in a in a rehabilitation centre surrounded by a load of people that I never met before in my life, you know what I mean? Mm. And you might look at that and think that's that's very bleak, you know, and a very kind of a, a sadness to that. Mm. And there is in a way, right? But there's also a lot of hope in it mm. because I went from in that place, like I was trying to make sense of my life there. But that's the key word. I was trying to make sense. The, the key word, I suppose, is. Sorry, I was trying to understand my life in there. And that was the key word, understand. And in there, I was surrounded by people who could help me to understand. Experts, therapists, counsellors, and other people who walked in my shoes. Where did you go? Asheree in Wexford. Oh, yeah, yeah. And what else did you say you were? I was, um, Jesus, 2012. Going on, uh, 2012. 2012. I was going to 20, 20, I was 25 heading on 26, yeah. yeah. And, um, you know... And then I started to realize why I was doing the things I was doing, mm. why I was failing, why I was messing up, why I was self-destructing. And then I started to understand that there's more therapeutic and holistic strategies and tools to use than the ones I've been using. Mm. Yeah. And then that was it. Mm. And you talk about seeing other people, mm. you know, because all I seen was the opposite. Yeah. This is how you, you get, you know, yeah. this is how you self-destruct. No, didn't you know have the the other side of it? This is how you look after yourself. Yeah. Then when I started kind of engaging with them people and moving towards those people, there was a different way. I can relate a lot with yeah. you there because we're the same age. So when you're talking about the eras yeah. of your life, mm. I'm thinking of what I was doing at that time. But I remember watching uh, Katie Taylor win the Olympic gold medal in the London London Olympics was strung out of my head that time yeah. and heroin and tablets. But I was in treatment the following summer. In 2013, at the but I think 25, 26, it's a good age for a fella mm. to get it because you're getting a bit mature. Mm. Um, you know, there's been a few treatment centers I'd been in before that, but I didn't really have the maturity or the belief. Mm. But like that, I, I began to learn like mm. different coping skills, 
like basic life skills, mm. filling in applications, how to look after yourself. Mm. I didn't really, I couldn't really cope. And, mm. um, you know, you, you learn that in a treatment centre. And it doesn't matter what treatment centre really, mm. when you're ready, they'll all work, you know. and Of course. And do you see, that you're, I know you're going back into education. I think you are as well, Terry. Yeah. You weren't ready at in the earlier part of your life. You weren't you weren't equipped mm. to deal with the education system at that time. You didn't have the supports either to help you. I was the same. If I did, if I did view, if I to base myself on the, uh, uh, today with the viewpoint of my previous education, primary and secondary, I would f- have a very dim view of myself. You know mm. what I mean? I'd feel absolutely yeah. useless, but I was 27 when I went back into third level education as well. I, I'm a, student counsellor psychotherapist now so Brilliant. I have a d- diploma a two year full time diploma in counselling psychotherapy and I've one year left to do my degree Brilliant. but I, yeah. I I just put that off because I turned professional in 2016 mm. and said I want to roll the dice one more time in my professional career yeah. because I felt like all my amateur career I was in active addiction and even though I achieved a lot I did all of that while being under that kind of duress and dysfunction and this you know just complete madness like and yeah. the shackles as well of addiction mm. And then, you know, suddenly I have them off. I'm free and I have this new mindset. I'm still young. I have a lot of experience. I'm healthy. And I have a foundation of an education to fall back on. Yeah. That's when I decided, like I came to the conclusion, I can always go back and do my degree. Exactly. But I can't always go back and box. Yeah. And I turned pro in 2016. And at the yeah. moment, like I'm 14 and one. Yeah. And I'm closing in on a European title shot. So how long were you out of boxing? I was about three years, 2013 to 16. Yeah. So I was keeping active and sparring. I'd help out my coach, you know, I'd go down and inspire him and, and I was in recovery as well. So I got out and he would say, geez, you haven't, you haven't lost it, you know? Yeah. And, you know, and then I started to kind of feel good about myself, you know? And I yeah. said, Jesus, you know, if I actually put a bit of work in now, I wonder what I could, you know yeah. what I mean? Cause it's, it's about smart training and a lot of it is up here though, to be honest with you, you know, if you're getting yourself fairly well, but a lot of it is up there, you know? And, What's the what's the big difference or what's the difference as you see it, fighting amateur to professional? Oh, it's it's a big difference. It's the 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 amateur game is a more kind of a stylish, uh, skillful, um, game, and the professional game, even though it has that kind of skill and all that element to it, there's a there's a there's another element to it, and it's a more vicious, barbaric element you know and I think you know when you watch, you saw me on Sky Sports yeah. that time against Selfa Barrett where I was boxing the head off him for yeah. six rounds and then I got absolutely walked onto a haymaker in the seventh Perfect. you know did the same to Dillian yeah. White the same night mm, yeah d- yeah. his was the week after mine oh, the yeah. week after, I was kind of glad because mine was the knockout of the year until that happened <laughs> <laughs> sure I was like that. thank god yeah. uh, no but like um, Jesus yeah he, he gave uh, he gave Dylan White some some uppercut wasn't it that's that right yeah, but oh, like, Eddie, Eddie Hearn's backyard Eddie Hearn's backyard <laughs> yeah and you know <laughs> but even taking that right I was offered the fight against Alpha Bard step up weight come mm. in and fight him after three years in retirement and mm. you know going against this hot shot, you know, and I took that fight, trained hard for it, gave a good account of myself, came up short ultimately, but walked away as a winner. Now, when I say that, like people say, like, I'm not saying that in a kind of like a winner in the sense of like, I won the match. No, a winner in, in the sense that I felt very good about myself. Mm-hmm. I felt very proud. Yeah. And because before, when I was in my amateur days and I was in addiction, the outcome of a boxing match would determine my whole health and well-being. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, 
literally it became my whole identity boxing uh, at a stage and it was just whole, like it was giving me the last bit of integrity that I had and it was terrible because I'm more than a boxer you know mm. but I walked away from that fight knowing that you know I just had this really good feeling about myself and everything's going to be alright you know mm, I no. got in there on the big stage dished it out got knocked out got up carried on but you know eventually I got I got he finished me but I got out of, I got out of ropes that night not feeling like a loser yeah. does that make sense well, when you think sense. about where you've yeah. come from you know the headspace you're in you yeah. know, to be in treatment back at square one mm. with it all to do to work put in the hours and the work yeah. and to yeah. get yourself into that position to be fighting yeah. you know somebody on that stage mm. is unbelievable you the, the addiction the addicted ego was gone over you as well yeah and you have more acceptance and surrender around your life yeah. and how things are and, and yeah. to be able to know that you didn't have done everything you could and, yeah. and fight like that I was able to cry yeah. naturally yeah I cried because I was hurt because I put a lot into it and I was sad because I lost yeah. but then I you know I picked myself up yeah. and moved on but that was, and that's how it should be. Yeah. But where before, when I lost in the amateur, I remember losing a big fight in the amateurs. I didn't cry. And I went home and I took a lot of cocaine. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, that's it. I know. And that's how I, you know, kind of consoled myself. Or, Crying is a healthy coping skill to have. Oh, it's brilliant. I loved mm. it. I, I, not, not, not that I loved it, but yeah. I enjoyed that kind of, the, I, that I was able to do that. You don't it need meant a sub- so much to me. I cry. Yeah, you don't need a yeah. substance to deal uh, with emotion. You know. No. Unless pure, it's, raw and honest. It's tough for a man to be like that. Like, but it's a good place to be. But it takes a lot mm. of work. It takes a lot of personal development. Mm. And to, you know, as Timmy said around self acceptance. You know what? I fucking mm. I give up my all, and I'm actually content with that. It didn't work out, but mm. I'll be back again. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and I do. Genuinely- you're far from done. I do genuinely believe I'll be back again. I was so unfortunate back in May. I worked my way into a European title shot. And 10 days before I was due to go out to Italy to fight Mario Alfano for the EU European uh, Super Featherweight title um, in Lombardy in Italy, live on Italian television and everything. 10 days beforehand, my last sparring session, my last spar, I fractured my ribs. Oh, shit. Yeah. Did you spar that roughly? I sparred a big, I sparred a big, I sparred two guys and they were getting in one, one the next. And it was just, it was more, it was a conditioning strategy. You know what yeah. I mean? I was doing 10, they were doing five each, but I was doing 10 straight. And, um, and he, I just got clipped with a big wild kind of a punch right behind the elbow, done me, rested it for a few days, gave it every chance, came back a after a couple of days rest, I couldn't even hit the pads. I was in that much pain. Yeah. And Packy said to me, he says, Eric, look, you can't get into a 12 round fight, which could potentially be a dog fight if you can't even hit the pads. You know what I mean? And mm. we had to postpone it. Like, so look, it's not dead in the water, but I hope to get myself back into that position early next year. Yeah. And that would be the icing on the cake for me to come back and be European champion mm. after all of that. Mm. It, like, that's what I hold on to. That's the Who's the last, dream. Yeah. Who's, who's the last European champion we've had? Um, well, we've a couple now. We've Tommy McCarthy from Belfast. Well, he's just lost it actually there recently to Chris Billum Smith. Uh, but Tommy McCarthy's European champion. Um, we had, uh, well, Bernard Dunn has obviously won the European title. Carl Frampton has won the European title. Yeah. Um, 
We've got some good boxers around at we the have. moment too, don't we? Oh, we have, yeah. Jason Quigley has after been announced uh, yeah. to fight Bubu uh, Andre yeah. for the world title on mm. November 20th. So uh, uh, I'm very good friends with Jason, you know, and his coach Andy Lee, we'd be very good friends as well. So I'm delighted for them. Yeah. And I'd love to see them come and do it. Like, you know, oh, it's a be big amazing. opportunity for him. Like, you know, yeah. Bubu Andre. Yeah, anything can happen, but your man is good. But Jason's good too, you know. Mm. Just need to perform and we know we can perform on the yeah. big stage, you know. Who's the elite in your weight class? Um, so I'm kind of between featherweight and super featherweight. So you're looking at Michael Conlon, uh, John O'Carroll, all very good, serious boxers. TJ yeah. Doheny, former world title holder, he was in the super bantamweight. Um, what about that world level? Who's the, the belt holders at the yeah, moment? Yeah, so you've got the super featherweights, then you've got Oscar Valdez, you've got, um, what's your man's name? Leo Santa Cruz, he's the guy that Frampton beat. Remember that? Yeah. yeah. You've got Gary Russell Jr. Um, you've got th- those type of guys, Americans, Latinos, you know, they're the kind of guys that are holding the belts in the weight division. Lee Wood is the featherweight champion that just won it from, he's from Nottingham. He won it recently and I think he's going to defend it against Michael Conlon. So that's going to be a huge fight, you know. Um, if, I, I t- if you had three wishes, or if you had one wish, yeah. you could fight anybody at the moment. Would you like to select one? And I, I, I respect you if you don't want to say any names because it's not um, to call somebody out, but mm. if you had a dream fight, like, would you like to fight Michael, Michael Cannon on a big fucking Crow Park event or would you like a, a shot at a title? Uh, I tell you, so people have said this to me. There's no particular names that I'd like to fight, but I would love to be involved in a classic. Mm. Like, like, I sometimes think about the fight against Alpha Barrett. Like, I was doing so well and been, beating him and then he knocked me down. And then I got up and he knocked me down again and I got up and I survived to the rest of the round. And then the next round I was thinking, I'm going to get back in this fight. Yeah. I'm going to get myself back. But I was still concussed, right? Yeah. Mm. You think in your head, you think you're grand, but I was still concussed. And then he, he, he caught me again and the referee said, no, I was getting back up to fight. The referee said, no, and look, he's right. You know what I mean? You have to protect the boxer as well. Yeah. But I, I love, I would have loved to be involved in, like I would have loved to see out that fight. Mm. Do you know what I mean? On my feet. Yeah. And maybe even like if I came back and won it because I was a mile ahead and I didn't realize it at the time, but I probably could have even taken a round off. I was so far ahead. Mm. And when I look at the fights of the past, the classic fights, like Bernard Dunn's world title fight was incredible. He got knocked down a few times. He knocked your man down. Mm. And then, you know, one stage he looked like he was gone, like he was over and then he'd get up and then he'd knock your man down and win the th- I love, I love those dramatic fights. Yeah. So there's no, there's nobody I kind of, have kind of earmarked or that to kind of yeah, it's just fight. more the occasion I just, the but I would really love my goal is to well I have two win the European title and defend it in Kildare that's mm. the two dreams I have nice. and uh, might get Christy Moore to sing into the ring and wouldn't that be <laughs> wouldn't that be incredible yeah. the Cura the Cura of Kildare huh? <laughs> yeah it'd be deadly yeah 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 so um, but no like all the boys like I think them Irish boys like you know John O'Carroll Michael Conlon Jason Quigley and all them boys like they're all doing really well like you know and they're all now, they're all world title contenders I'm just happy to get a European at yeah. where I am I, if I got a European I'd be I'd be hang up the gloves and be content that's very achievable yeah. Fiddle. yeah oh definitely yeah. <clears throat> take your weight in boxing there for a minute <laughs> right um, you know doing that degree that you're doing in psychotherapy yeah. and counselling mm. I, I, I'm looking at you here and I'm listening to you and I see you in recovery and, and you were talking about your own story growing up and, and not nobody really being there f- that you could talk to about what was going on for you. Can you see yourself maybe going into a role in that within 
Irish sports for some of our elite athletes, maybe. I do a school speaking circuit. Yeah. I do speak to, I speak to, I do corporate talks. I do uh, sports teams. Mm. Um, and I speak about performance. I speak about like health and well-being. And I'm very passionate about the area of health and well-being, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I think it's a big problem at the moment. Like, you know, and I was speaking in a school today at the Christian Brothers College today. I was speaking to a lot of students over there and I have a couple more talks there now tomorrow. And um, I always say to the students when I speak to them before I, before I sh- share with them, I always say, lads, I wish I had somebody come in and share with me what I'm going to share with you when I was at school. And I didn't have that luxury, you know, mm. but the amount of people that there hasn't been a talk that I've done that where someone hasn't reached out to me afterwards and said, yeah. thank you. You've really helped me there. And that's why I do it. Yeah. There's always somebody suffering in silence because I would have been that person. Yeah. And I would have used, I would have used other coping mechanisms to kind of play the kind of big man that I'm <laughs> grand, you know, and you know, Asher, I'm grand, not a bother on me, you know, but like deep down, you know, really I was... I was struggling, you know. I think it's great with someone with your profile in boxing. Yeah. And, you know, to, to be able to come out and talk about the mental health mm. and the addiction side of it and now be going on to be a psychotherapist mm. and going down that route. Mm. Like, uh, there's a lot of people going to benefit from I think from so. your story yeah. and your um, your knowledge in psychotherapy mm. and counselling, you know, so. Yeah. I just want to commend you on that. Thanks, no, yeah. thanks to me. And I, I honestly, like, I, I'm a great admirer of your work and, and your work, James, and I think the guests that you have on here is brilliant. Yeah. Like, and these are the very, these are the real impactful human interaction kind of conversations and stories that we need to have. And I just think I, I'm gone complete 360 now because I wouldn't tell anyone the truth in my life. You know, I was kind of like a bit of a liar and a bit of a, you know, mm-hmm. couldn't, couldn't, what someone said to me, couldn't lie straight in the bed. You know what I mean? <laughs> But 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 now I'm gone the complete opposite, you know, and I love that human and just that human, the real human connection with people, you know, honestly, mm. real talk, like, you know what I mean? And without kind of screaming it from the rooftops, but like, there's not like, there's re- it's really lovely to sit down and just have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee and have a good, honest mm. chat with somebody. And I've had so many of them and I even if I'm helping somebody, I'm helping myself. I come away as well with just as much out of it yeah. as, a, as as sitting with somebody who's well, awful you know what I mean I, I, always, yeah, I, say, I always say like that through the lockdown when we started this like this is weekly therapy for me I don't yeah. know about Timmy but yeah. every week I get out of my house I get to meet interesting people yeah. and talk about recovery most yeah. of the time and it's an outlet for me yeah. you know and it's a huge support I use do you mm. know what I mean and uh, I love speaking with people like yourself do you know because it's, you know, my wife is in recovery I work in addiction services the podcast is themed around recovery mm. my life is built in a way structured in a way where it's very easy for me to maintain my recovery you know yeah and yeah. Um, but there's people like before I was in recovery before you were in recovery you're at home and you're thinking, how am I going to get out of it? Is this what's all there for me? But mm. when we share our stories, like we're going to get emails now about you, you know? Mm, yeah. Love listening to Eric. Where's Asha you read? You know, what, yeah. what did he do afterwards? Yeah. You know? And we're inspiring people and you're inspiring mm. people. Yeah. And we share our stories, not for pats on the back, but because the people are going to be mm. at home. Some people mm. are going to be at home struggling and they're going to identify with mm. you. And then they're going to contact us or somebody. Yeah. and get the ball rolling because it all starts with it, it, yeah. spark and not planting it the seeds does. it does like life is tough anyways in yeah. general life is tough it's a tough old slog like you know it what is, I mean yeah. like and when you haven't got the kind of resources or the kind of supports around you and all that can be extremely tough and mm. then you wonder why drugs is so big why drugs is such a 
of a, a profit to be a, a pro- yeah. why is such a problem in society yeah. you know what i mean because there's so many candidates for it yeah. people are broken people yeah. are really really struggling here you go here you go there's a you can have a bag of coke a size is the size of you know a, a bag of crisps at your door if you want and it's with a text message like a deliveroo yeah you know what i mean knock your door but then if you want mental health service join the queue I know you know and if you especially yeah. if you're not if you've no private care yeah. private health care forget about you join the queue yeah. you know and that's the problem I know. you know um, and that queue then you could easily die in that queue like while you you're waiting by yeah. your own hand or whatever yeah. else no. you know and that's the that's the mm. sad point of it. and mm. people are really just shouting out yeah. and they're really really struggling and mm. there should be more of an emphasis around that from our government don't you yeah think? there should of course you know, there, should. there should I genuinely be believe that there has to be a lot more of like, like I could talk about this stuff. I get all passionate. I do get really annoyed about this yeah, stuff. Like yeah. say even the, the, the prison system, it's just a one, it's a one tier system for everybody. Like there should be like at the first stages of, you know, say crime or, you know, there should be intervention where people can not go to prison, but go off and do a six month army course or something. Mm, mm. Like look at all the armies and all the, all the, so, sorry, all the, the soldiers in this country. I know a lot of them would love to actually be working with people, helping them to make a change. Yeah. You know, like this Health Week t- or this uh, Hell Week yeah. thing that's on TV. Yeah. These are rangers. Now, I know that's more extreme, yeah. but down at the lower level, the, the corporals and the privates and stuff like that, like if they were even like educated enough to kind of mm. take someone on a six-month course of, you know, just like discipline, uh, discipline, yeah. life yeah. skills, yeah. you know, values, you know, value system, help them to build a value, mm-hmm. making their own beds, this kind of stuff. Because some of these guys haven't had the greatest starts in life, right? Yeah. But where are they going? They're going into prison. Yeah, they're going straight into prison and with, with and just threw into a room. Yeah, no. and threw in a, it's just storing them for a short period of time until they get back. That's a hundred grand a year. I know, I know. From one prison, you know, that's unbelievable. And I just think there's so many. Other, like, and anyway that's why I, I, I travel around to schools and I talk because when people think of me as a boxer they think boxing champion tough brave yeah. you know synonymous with being macho and, you know but I tried to say to, to people like you know I, I, I had to train as a boxer and no matter what you train at you can be good at because that's a skill level you know mm. but behind the, the boxing gloves behind the head guard behind your say a musician behind the guitar behind the football views behind whatever it is we're still we're you're a human being yeah and we have emotions and feelings and thoughts and if we don't work with them if we don't like deal with them they can be to the detriment of us you know so when people hear me saying that i sat i felt sad or lonely or anxious at times and now i ask for help when i feel like that it gives them a bit of a he can do it you know what i mean yeah he can do it so can Mm -hmm. i that's why I do it. Fair yeah. play. Yeah. That's unbelievable. And you're absolutely right. Is when when people see um big profile people within our communities or even in our communities, guys that would have had a reputation for being extremely violent and drug dealing and stuff, mm. and then to actually stop, mm. you know, and they say, Listen, I'm struggling with my mental health, I have a drug problem or whatever mm. else. It just kind of, it tur- as you said earlier, turns in the 360 and people yeah. say, do you know what? I actually feel the same. Do you know? And yeah. it's actually okay to speak about it. Yeah. And then people start moving forward and I look for yeah. services and, and yeah. it just, it works that way then. Yeah. 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 People like, people look at the Irish champion, you know, a professional boxer 
as like as you said all these stereotypes tough yeah. image matchup but yeah. on any given day we can struggle and yeah. you know we're a work in progress we're only yeah. human at the mm-hmm. end of the day mm-hmm. and we all have life's pressures we but we find uh, coping skills through services that are available yeah. and you're going into the services and you're going to help a lot of people yeah. one person at a time you'll help them to repair their lives um, I, I would say you're going to fix them but that's probably not the right thing to say yeah. you facilitate them to help them fix mm. themselves mm. I think is probably a better way of putting it but um, best, yeah exactly but best of luck with everything going forward you're getting married soon yeah get married three weeks from today Brilliant. You know, to Laura my beautiful fiance it's congratulations third, Laura thank you yeah. congratulations um, it's our third third attempt two false starts with Covid oh for fuck's yeah. sake <laughs> yeah so third time lucky now please God but we were supposed to get married in Spain initially and then we Spain July 2020 and then we postponed it to April 21 in Spain and then that didn't go ahead either so we had to give up on Spain altogether with no guarantee so we're getting Married back home and and we have the numbers were allowed and all that so we're we're just delighted Perfect. now that there's no you know and I think three days before we we get married is all restrictions are lifted you know oh, brilliant. so it'll oh, be yeah. a, a, a the bank holiday weekend kind of a, a, yeah it's yeah. the bank holiday weekend yeah and it'll be almost kind of like the end of well I don't know if COVID's ever going to end we'll we we'll say it's the end of COVID yeah. anyway yeah. <laughs> yeah it's the end of COVID lads it's, go mental yeah. <laughs> People are carrying on and they're enjoying their lives yeah. again. We were yeah. at an event over the weekend and it was boxing. And yeah. there was everybody was having fun. Yeah. Everybody was enjoying themselves. Yeah. There was no masks. Mm. You know, and it was great to see it. Isn't it amazing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Great, like. And that's what I love. Yeah. I'm able to laugh now from the heart and the yeah. belly laughs. And before that was artificial, yeah. you know? And I paid money for that artificial yeah. feelings, you know? Yeah. But just even the realization of that for anyone that's listened to this podcast to just know this that recovery is possible and a life without drink and drugs and gambling and whatever ever it is that is weighing you down is possible I have a life far greater than the life you're living you know mm-hmm. isn't like yeah. we're we're testament to that yeah and you know hold on to that hope yeah. people you know because without hope you've not um, just take that first step whatever mm, it may be it yeah. might be a doctor that'll push him onto his uh, yeah. counsellor mm. you know that counsellor might push him into a treatment centre mm. you know or pre-treatment mm. or whatever it may be that was my th- yeah. that's how it worked for me you know there's so many different ways mm. so just as you said there like just there's hope yeah and yeah. we are a testament that there's hope like mm. exactly yeah. but look it's a good way to finish yeah, lovely talk and gentlemen. Yeah. Gentlemen, yeah. look forward to seeing you yeah. fight. Hopefully, in person, we might get to go to an event yeah. and sit ringside. Absolutely, that would be class. Two Norries from yeah. ringside. <laughs> <laughs> Timmy could be the security. Which <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, it was lovely talking, champ. Best yeah. luck with everything, Pleasure. the wedding, the boxing, and the, the degree. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks, Thanks very much, gentlemen. And we we'll see everybody next week. Thanks, Thanks everyone. Us. 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.